Well, I've got a huge parenting win to share with you this week. I finally did it. I finally ripped the band-aid off and I've pulled my youngest kiddo out of the public school. We are done with government schools once and for all. Hi, I'm Julie Barrett, and you're listening to the Women's Blaining Podcast. I'm also the founder of Conservative Ladies of Washington. We are a group of like-minded ladies and gentlemen here in the state of Washington. We are working hard to advance the conservative movement in this very deep blue state, which is proving to be quite a challenge. We are working hard to elect conservative candidates. We are trying to educate and empower the citizens of Washington state to step up, speak up, and take real action that can create positive change for the state of Washington. You can learn more about our organization and the work that we are doing and how you can get involved by visiting our website, conservativeladiesofwa.com. That's conservativeladiesofwa.com. And for everybody who's not in the state of Washington, I'm very excited that we will be uh, launching our national platform here in the very near future, Conservative Ladies of America. So stay tuned. I will have more details on that in the very near future. Well, I'm super excited this week. I finally done did it. I pulled my youngest kiddo out of the government schools and unenrolled her officially. And she will start with a an online academy that we chose. Uh, she'll start that next week. Now, my youngest kids are 16. I have four children. The youngest are 16-year-old twins. And so they're actually my last ones that are in school. And uh, this was kind of the last of getting these kids out of the government schools. And if you are a parent of teenagers or older children, you know that it can be very difficult when your kids have friends in the public school system and they don't want to leave those friends. It can be really hard to get them to buy into the idea of changing. And that was part of the reason that we stayed in as long as we did. And uh, in June, in an IEP meeting over Zoom that I had for my youngest uh, with the vice principal, the special education teacher, and the counselor, they slipped up and started calling my daughter by a boy's name and using boy pronouns. Now, due to a conversation that I had with my daughter a few months prior, I knew that this situation had occurred and that they were calling her by this other name. The special education teacher, according to my daughter, preferred the students who were part of the LGBTQ community. So it was kind of like this trendy thing to do. So my daughter was like, okay, I can do that. And, you know, she's a tomboy. So she kind of, you know, she's got the short hair and, and she wears baggy clothes, but she doesn't think she's a boy. She's not interested in girls. She's not confused about her identity. But in order to get favor from the teacher and to fit in with the other kids, she kind of went along with this idea. And she and I had had a discussion in the late winter or early spring about how do I fix this, mom? What do I do? How do I get them to stop calling me this and call me by my real name? 
And so I tried to coach her on that and help her to advocate for herself because as at the time she was 15, and it's important, I think, for us to teach our children to to do this before we step in and do it, help them do it. And so I, I had been aware of this situation. And as far as I knew, things had been resolved and they were calling her by her, her real name and using her real pronouns. Uh, But in this Zoom IEP meeting, they seamlessly went from calling her by her real name to calling her by the other name. And I caught them doing it. And I kind of let it go on for a couple of minutes before I stopped the teacher. And I said, wait a second, we're still talking about my child, correct? Oh, oh, yes, I'm sorry. I, I totally, you know, made a mistake. I had another tab open and I confused your kid with another kid. And um, sorry, I'm just, you know, I've got so much going on. And I totally called her on it. I'm like, I know exactly what you just did. I know exactly what happened. Uh, you know, my daughter told me the truth. So please don't try to hide it from me. And she doubled down. She's like, oh, no, no, I, you know, I'm not trying to hide anything from you. I've really got, you know, all these tabs open and I just got confused with another student. And so I let it, you know, I let her continue on. Um, She had to take a break to collect herself. And then we continued on and I muted my Zoom and I just sat back in my chair with my arms crossed. And I let the three of them just talk about the IEP and what was going to happen in the next year. And I kind of hoped that my body language and the look on my face would communicate to them without words how I was feeling. And then at the end of their presentation, they asked what I thought. And I really kind of, I calmly, can you calmly come unhinged? I calmly came unhinged. And I said to these people, I don't know how you people sleep at night when you've got these kids that are going by one identity at school and another identity at home. And you are encouraging this behavior of these special needs kids who are already struggling socially and developmentally. You are encouraging them to become more confused. And they really didn't respond. They didn't have any kind of defense. They didn't try to explain it away. And they said, well, we can just revisit the IEP in the fall. And I knew right then and there that my daughter would not go back um, to the school in the fall. And my daughter happened to be in the room. She wasn't on my camera with me, but she was in the room. And so the staff did not even know she was in the room. And she was sitting uh, in the room with her head in her hands, just in disbelief that these teachers, when I called them out, were just doubling down. And I share this story with you because it's so important for parents to realize how prevalent this is in these government schools. And Washington isn't the only state where the guidelines for the government schools include this student confidentiality, include the students going by one name at school and the staff referring to this student as their actual name when they're speaking with the parents. So you've got these educators who are encouraging students to have two separate identities. Now, being a kid is confusing enough But having two separate identities and keeping up with those identities has got to be really, really difficult on one 
emotionally and mentally. What are these people doing to our kids? And I believe this is very intentional. Creating this chaos and confusion in the minds of our children is very intentional. So this is happening. It's happening in states all over the country. It is happening in red states. We've seen in Florida recently, there was a dad of a 12-year-old where they did something kind of similar. I read something yesterday about something going on in Oklahoma. Parents in red states, please be aware. Please be on guard. Please be paying attention. Look at the stuff that your kids are learning. Look at the things that the teachers are communicating with your kids on email or uh, a lot of schools use that Remind app. Be watching this stuff. Go to the school board meetings. Read all of the emails that come from the schools. I mean, my hand is up. I am guilty of, you know, I at one time had all four of my kids in government schools. I was a single mom uh, for 10 years with four little kids trying to keep track of, you know, at one point in time, I had four kids at four different schools. And it was really challenging just to keep up with the kids, let alone my job. And so I get it. It's really easy to just like delete those emails as they come thinking they're not that important. But I would really encourage you I regret not paying attention to that sooner because I think I would have picked up on it sooner. And, you know, being a single parent, and there are a lot of parents, maybe you're not a single parent, but for some other reason, it's really a hardship for you to consider another option besides government school. As I look back, I really wish I had paid more attention and that I had considered getting my kids out of these government schools much sooner than I did because I think their trajectory could have been different. And so if you have younger kids, even if you have high schoolers, I would really encourage you to figure out how you could make that happen. And if you can't, maybe you can't, um, pay attention to everything that's coming home. Read those emails. Our school district sends out a racial uh, justice uh, diversity newsletter once a month. Read those. Read what they are sending out to parents because this is the stuff that they're teaching our kids in the schools. And if you can be aware of it and have conversations with your kids about why that's not okay and teach them the truth, that's going to be hugely helpful for protecting your kids against this radical left indoctrination. I encourage you, even if you are in these red states, get involved in the school board, attend the school board meetings, uh, run for school board if you can. Uh, in this week on Tuesday, Florida had their elections and they flipped several school boards from liberal to conservative. And that is huge. That was a huge effort. Governor DeSantis uh, helped to endorse a lot of these conservative candidates, and they really put this concerted effort into flipping these school boards. And that's going to be a huge success for the children and the parents in the state of Florida. And I think it's a model for other red and purple states to be able to do that kind of thing to protect the kids in the states. And if you're paying any attention to what they're doing with Title IX, they're really trying to make it a federal law to protect the transgender kids, which will also, you know, that will infiltrate into the schools and have a lot to do with uh, how the trans kids are um, able to participate in sports, use different bathrooms and that sort of thing. So I will cover that probably on an episode next week and what's going on with some of the Title IX stuff because that's all bad too. But there's my parenting win for the week. I pulled my kid 
out of public school. I'm super happy about that. My kid feels really happy about that. She has a lot of peace uh, with this decision and is actually excited for the first time in a long time to go back to school this year. So I am happy about that. And I hope that that encourages some of you who maybe are thinking about pulling off the Band-Aid and, and making that switch from government school to some kind of private or homeschool. There are a lot of options out there. And I think one of the blessings that came out of 2020 and the whole COVID disaster is that there are a lot of options for parents to consider aside from the government schools. So I would encourage you to check into that. A couple other things that I want to dig into today, as I mentioned on my last episode, Joe Biden is do, did this student loan forgiveness thing, which was really um, awesome for us taxpayers who are now going to get to deal with all of these student loans that we didn't sign up for. And um, on on Twitter, there is a White House Twitter account, and I have no idea who is running this Twitter account, but it is it is so unprofessional. It's just bad. Yesterday, the White House Twitter account became totally unhinged, and they were comparing PPP loans and the forgiveness of PPP loans to this debt forgiveness of um, these college loans. And in their uh, calling out, uh, and on Twitter, they are calling out various Congress people who took out PPP loans. And I don't know the accuracy of this. I'll put a link to the thread in the show notes. But um, I don't know if these are accurate. I haven't done them. But what I want to point out is, and you see a lot of people on the left, including Joe Biden, is comparing the PPP loans to these forgiveness of these student loans. And I'd like to point out that the PPP loans were because the government shut down businesses. Student loans are a choice because someone decided to go to college and they chose to take out a federal loan. PPP is a much different thing. The government told these people they had to close their business. How are they going to pay their employees? How are they going to be able to sustain their business during a shutdown if they didn't have some sort of financial compensation. So that is on the government. The government chose to shut down our society. And so it was on them to provide this kind of financial assistance. You will see a lot of people that are kind of glomming on to this comparison of the PPP loans with the student loan. And I'd just like you to know that we're talking about apples and oranges. They are not comparable. It is not the same thing. People did not sign up to have their businesses shut down, and we cannot allow our government to go with this narrative that somehow these two things are the same. They are very much not the same. They are black and they are white. And when you see the government bragging about how many people are so relieved of their debt now, you know, yeah, I bet they are feeling relieved, but the rest of us aren't feeling relieved. The rest of us just got stuck with the tab to the tune of they're now estimating it is going to be over $500 billion to the taxpayers. So you and I, our kids, our grandkids, our grandkids' grandkids, it's going to be paying this debt off for a long time to come. So it's not a win for anybody. It was purely a political move. It's an unconstitutional move that the that one man can decide that he's going to make the rest of us pay for all these loans. So it'll be interesting to see 
if anybody holds him accountable. Will the Republicans take the Biden administration to account all this? Would somebody take this up to the Supreme Court and challenge the constitutionality of this move? This is totally an attempt to buy votes because the people that have these loans are primarily going to be your Biden voters who went to college took out their loan to get some gender studies degree or lesbian dance degree, and they can't pay it back. But even still, that's such a small percentage of people. But maybe it's the perception. Maybe the perception on the left is that Biden just did this wonderful thing for for the people who couldn't afford to pay back these loans. And I just say, if you're going to school, if you're taking out loans to go to school and you're not going to be able to make enough money to pay back that loan, perhaps you need to rethink your career path there and your education path and, and maybe do something a little bit different because that doesn't make sense really to anybody. It was interesting. I saw on Twitter this morning as well, Pramila Jayapal, who is a congresswoman from Seattle. She was talking about these, you know, how amazing this loan forgiveness is and that college should be free. Public college should be free for everybody. And, you know, she's got all these people on the left who are cheering for free college. They don't understand. Nothing is free. Did your parents not teach you that? Ain't nothing free. If you're going to college for free, somebody is paying for it because I guarantee that the buildings and the bathrooms and the electricity, all of these operations have costs tied to them. The teachers aren't going to be there teaching for free. They've got to have some sort of financial compensation and benefits to go along with their employment there. So it's not free. It's another way that the taxpayers are going to pay for this. And the people... The way the left does their messaging, they want people to have this perception that it's all free and, you know, the government can just give out these things free. And I don't understand how people don't get that nothing is free. You are paying for it in your taxes. It is frustrating to watch the messaging come out of the left. And even more frustrating is to watch the people that completely lack the ability to do any kind of critical thinking. It's just like they are drunk on the Kool-Aid and it is absolutely insane. All right. So the last thing I want to touch on real quick today is that the DOJ has released the affidavit showing the FBI collected 184 sensitive documents at Mar-a-Lago before the raid. They had redacted like If you look at pages of the affidavit, it is like so much black with very little white. I will put a link for a article that a Substack article that Raheem Kassam did on this. And then you can go look at the affidavit for yourself. But it's hundreds of pages of just black lines. And John Solomon of Just the News, he does great reporting, by the way. And I'll put a link to this in the notes as well. But he reported that... The documents were marked as classified, which would be different than they were actually classified. So it appears from what we've seen come out today that there really was no real justification for this. There wasn't a real threat um, and that they did this purely for, you know, it, it appears to be tied to the same Russian disinformation kind of thing. And Trump posted on Truth Social this morning criticizing the raid. He said the political hacks and thugs had no right under the Presidential Records Act to storm Mar-a-Lago and steal everything in sight, including passports and privileged documents. They even broke into my safe with a safe cracker. Can you believe 
This act was created for a very good reason, and it works. We are right now living in a lawless country that just so happens to be also a failing nation. And he is so right. I think we it feels like we are living in a banana republic. And all of this is very political. And it seems like the timing of it is, you know, very strategic with November coming up right ahead. And I think it's important that we don't just let these things slide, because if they can do this to a president, a president who has the power and privilege to unclassify anything he wants, if they have the ability to do this to a former president, they can do it to anybody else. So I think it's important for us to be on guard about this and to expect our leaders to be holding the president and the Department of Justice accountable for this action. And um, we cannot have a politicized Department of Justice. But we've seen that, right? I mean, we saw last September, we saw the Department of Justice calling parents domestic terrorists. And I don't think we're going to see it get better. So we need to make sure that we have people on our side who are fighting for truth and justice and for we, the American people. So it's been an interesting week. Lots of stuff going on. I hope you have a fabulous weekend. I'm going to leave it there for today. And I look forward to chatting with you again next week. If you've got a topic idea that you'd like me to address on an upcoming episode, I would love to hear from you. And if you would do me a favor, please rate and share this podcast. I look forward to seeing you again next time.